blessing till I've been desperate to find redemption and every time I turn around Lord you're still there I was found before I was lost I was yours before I was not there's grace to spare for all my mistakes. That part just wrecks me. And I know I don't deserve this kind of love. But somehow. This kind of love is who you are. It's a grace I could never add. Would be somebody you still want. But somehow, you love me as you find me. Good evening, church family. Thanks for joining us on this Good Friday as we remember the love that was displayed for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. Tonight, we will get the opportunity to remember the sacrifice of Jesus together, to kind of sit and, and take it all in, to reflect and remember how much God loves us that he would send his only son to die for us. Tonight, we're gonna journey back together through those events that led to the death of Jesus. We're gonna go to that upper room with the disciples and Jesus as they shared a meal together. We're gonna then go to the garden where Jesus prayed and was betrayed and arrested We'll observe the mockery of a trial uh, with Jesus before Pilate, and then we'll climb the hill towards Calvary. And tonight, I wanna just encourage all of us, myself included, uh, we, most of us likely know this story. We've heard this story dozens, hundreds, thousands of times. But I would just encourage you and, and myself to ask God to let you hear it tonight with fresh ears and fresh hearts. 
that the Spirit of God would speak this story over you and to you and that you would hear what he wants you to hear, that we would believe what he's calling us and inviting us to believe tonight. As we reflect and we remember, we're going to be doing three specific things together. We're going to have scripture read over us. We're going to hear songs sung over us. And we're going to have readings um, of prayers that we're actually going to engage in together. It's going to be a little different than a typical gathering here at Mosaic. Uh, Normally, we'd come out and invite you to stand and sing and proclaim the truth of God together. But tonight, it's going to be a little different. As we hear the scriptures read and as we sing, we want to invite you to just remain seated and absorb the truth of the word of God and the truth that will be sung over you. And then when we have our prayers that will be uh, led by myself and my wife um, tonight, there's a responsive part of that. And so what that's going to look like, how you'll know that we're in one of those moments is up on the screen, at the top of the screen, you'll see a title come up, kind of like this right here. And then the reader will, will read uh, this script, script um, line. And then when you see the bright, bold letters, that's when you know it's your turn to join in. So with this up on the screen here, why don't we try this together? God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Great job. So when we get to that point, you know what to do. And what an incredible truth, right? This is where we started tonight, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that was the way that God chose to demonstrate his love to you and to me. Everything that God does is in love. God is love. So everything that he does is in love. But here in Romans 5, we see Paul pointing out that the unique demonstration, the highlight, was that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what tonight's about. So let me pray for us, and we'll see why this is called Good Friday. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for loving us so much that you would send Jesus to die for us, to take our place, to bear the weight of the punishment that was due us for our sin to actually become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Tonight we remember, we rejoice, we give thanks for your great love for us. Jesus, be exalted tonight, be worshiped tonight, be adored tonight, be honored tonight. We love you because you have first loved us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I strayed like a sheep, turned aside and went my own way accumulating egregious amounts of debt and guilt. Yet he, my savior, willingly bore the wrath that was meant for me. I cast him down before a tr corrupt tribunal to be assaulted by false accusations. Yet he, my savior, brought me into a heavenly courtroom to plead my innocence and accept the penalties for crimes I committed against him. I opened my mouth to mock and scorn my maker, yet he, my savior, used his words to set the universe into motion, upholding the heavenlies and the pulse of my own raging heart. I abused my authority to humiliate him. I stripped him bare. I exposed the king of glory for laughs and jeers. Yet he, my savior, surrendered his position and power to clothe me with mercy and compassion. He exchanged my filthy rags for his white robe of righteousness. I crowned the head of my healer with a halo of twisted thorns and bludgeoned the brow of the Son of God. Yet he, my Savior, crowned me with his royal diadem of steadfast love and mercy. He forgave all my iniquities, healed all my diseases, and redeemed my life from the pit. I led him down a violent ro road toward a tangled, cursed tree where crimson streams flowed from his innocent hands. Yet he, my savior, led me to still streams of living water and green pastures for my nourishment, healing, and restoration. And yet, despite my horrendous acts of treason, I have become the recipient of divine mercy, forgiveness, grace, and love. I was his enemy, yet he my peacemaker. I was his accuser, yet he my intercessor. I was his tormentor, yet he my healer. I was his betrayer, yet he my defender. 
I was his mocker. Yet he, my advocate, I was his murderer. Yet he, my savior.
Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And and as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? We answered when you called for us, leaving everything behind to follow you. Tonight we gather around this table and we break bread together. And yet you say one of us will betray you. Is it I, Lord? We watched you walk upon the water and quiet the storm with a whisper. We witnessed the blind receive their sight and the demons scatter like sheep. And yet one of us will deny you and curse your name. Is it I, Lord? We stayed beside you, even after dozens, hundreds walked away, put off by your goods giving, ritual rejecting, flesh eating, blood drinking, cross carrying calls. We counted the cost, and yet one of us will count the coins we sell your freedom for. Is it I, Lord? We fetched the colt for your ceremonious and controversial arrival. We did not silence the mobs that cried out for deliverance, but boldly echoed them. And yet one of us will deliver you unto death. Is it I, Lord? We stood by, wide-eyed, as you toppled the tables of the greedy, driving them from the house of prayer like a lover defending his bride. And yet one of us will choose to cheat on you. Is it I, Lord? We were humbled as you knelt to cleanse our filthy feet. We looked into the eyes of the gentle and lowly one as he washed away our stains. And yet, one of us will turn our back on you. Is it I, Lord? We listened, perplexed, as you said the son must suffer. Crushed under the weight of our rebellion, you said that death was the only way You said that you must. You said that you will. You said it is done. And yet, one more bewildering word, forgiven. Even I, Lord,
See the bottom of my storehouse of love. So as you use the night to make your flight, no choice. change my mind even if one day you decide you will find somewhere else to hide I will walk your way and call your name and wait for your even if you make up in your mind you don't want to be by my side I will leave behind the 99 Take every swing and every blow until you know. 
came to the disciples and he said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. They seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. 
and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put on a scarlet robe and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Son of God, in all his innocence, be walking in the dirt with you and me. He knows what living is, he's acquainted with our grief. A man of sorrow, son of suffering, blood and tears. How can it be? There's a God who weeps. There's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah to the Son of Suffering. Son Chased us down in merciful pursuit to the sinner you were graced and the broken you embraced and in the end the proof is in your words yes in the end the proof is in your God who weeps, there's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah to the Son of Suffering.
So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers who mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Betrayed, denied, arrested and abandoned, disowned, mocked, stripped and scorched, nailed to a Roman cross. And yet you cry, Father, forgive them. Oh, Father, forgive. Father, forgive me for shouting Hosanna with the crowds, but abandoning you when the road bent towards Calvary. Father, forgive me for boldly boasting in you when it benefits me, but cowardly retreating when it doesn't. Father, forgive me for taking matters into my own hands instead of trusting the hands that hold the future. Father, forgive me for sleeping when I should have been praying. Father, forgive me for being zealous to preach but reluctant to practice. Father, forgive me for running from home to chase after the fleeting pleasures of this world. Father, forgive me for pointing out the speck in my brother's eye while having a log in my own. Father, forgive me for exalting myself when I should have been exalting you. Father, forgive me for my pride, my lust, my anger. Father, forgive me for my greed, my gossip, my self-righteousness. Father, forgive me for my apathy, my jealousy, my deceit. Father, forgive me for my sin that nailed him to the tree. 
Father, forgive me. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God.
We find ourselves at the bridge of the song, the shift in the pattern where the story goes wrong, heaven's momentum hurtling towards earth in the unlikely status of our Savior's birth. Hope spreads its wings 
as the Spirit descends on the Son, the solution to eradicate sin. The Word sows the truth, established with power, but all hope seems lost in the solemn ninth hour. One final breath, an excruciating cry, tortured, forsaken, condemned to die. The ultimate incarnation, God taking sin into his flesh, the perfect light and life broken in darkness and death. The earth quakes and trembles, his followers mourn, but the paradigm is broken, the temple veil is torn, the execution of the innocent, the king betrayed, but the floodgates have opened, humanity is saved. The holiness of God unleashed, unconstrained, the holiness of God transforming the profane, the holiness of God spread among the diseased, the holiness of God with those in whom he is now pleased. I continue to think about the priests in the sixth hour, 3 p.m., the ninth hour, 3 p.m., working as normal, doing their duties in the holy place. Not the holy of holies, but the holy place. Separated from the holy of holies by a veil. Working as normal, just like they do every day at that time. Continuing the work that has gone on day after day, year after year, decade after decade. Taking the sacrifices, sprinkling the blood. And then at 3 p.m., as that final sacrifice is made, the veil being torn from top to bottom and opening up, I can't imagine the fright coming over them, the despair overtaking them, because if the veil has been torn, they are now in the presence of the holiness of God, their life flashing before their eyes because they know that's a death sentence. They know that no one survives that moment. They've heard the stories. I can't imagine the way that fear must have gripped them. And then the shock. As nothing happens. The stories they must have told as they exited out of there and talked about what had just happened and that, that they're okay, that they're alive. The veil being torn is only good news if. The veil being torn is only good news if something radical has taken place. If something earth-shattering has happened. We've been telling the story week in and week out since Ash Wednesday. The story of God bringing home to us 
God desiring in his love to be near us, to be with us. We saw it in Eden. We saw it in the tabernacle. We saw it in the temple. And we just continue to see that God in his love for his creation, for his sons and his daughters, wants to continually get closer. That him taking up residence in the temple among his people, confined to the Holy of Holies, was not good enough. It was not close enough. God wanted to break out further, and so he took on flesh, flesh and bone, and he came to be with us, and yet it wasn't near enough yet. You know, as I think about the God of the universe coming near to be with me, it's good news and it's scary news, because if you're anything like me, there are spaces in your heart and there are spaces in your mind that you're afraid for God to be. The perfect spotless lamb, the holy one, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the perfect righteous one. There are spaces that I don't want him to see. That I want him to experience. And yet when we know the story when we see the picture, there is nothing to fear because the picture of God we see in Jesus. Imagine, if you will, the ocean. Imagine the deepest, darkest space in the ocean. Imagine just fathoms deep, filled with sin. Every sinful thought by the billions of people that have populated this planet, the trillions of sinful thoughts, of lustful thoughts, of contempt, of hatred, of gossip, the deceit, the lies, the slander, the murder, the genocide, filling up the entirety of the ocean. And then the God of the universe coming down and not staying far away, but the God of the universe wading into those waters and then taking them one by one and placing it on his skin. The lust, the gossip, the deceit, the murder, the genocide, just taking it into himself with all of its weight, with all of its shame, with all of its pain and scorn, and embracing it into his own flesh. The picture that we see of God in Jesus is that there is no space that he has not already seen. There is no darkness he has not brought light to. He already knows. Jesus said to his disciples, greater love has no one than this than that person lay down their life for their friends. And the perfect picture of love that we see is Jesus. Not one human dying for another, but the God of the universe taking on flesh and taking my sin, your sin into his flesh and dying on the cross, a torturous death, to pay the penalty for our sin. The picture is the God of the universe, he who knew no sin, the pure and spotless lamb, became sin. Jesus took on sin, he who knew no sin became sin, 
so that the veil being torn in two would be good news. He who knew no sin took on sin so that we, you and I, might become the righteousness of Christ. And when we know that, we know that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God because if he has gone this far, then there is no distance he won't go. I love the way Paul says it in Romans chapter 8. He says this. He says, who shall separate us? God's children, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No. Shall my sin, shall yours, shall the veil? No. Not my thoughts, not my actions, not my inaction. Shall anything separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure, I'm convinced, I'm positive that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
to 